welcome to The West Steps, a podcast from the Colorado Children's Campaign that explores issues that impact Colorado kids and families. I'm your host, Beza Tedes. Welcome to The West Steps. Uh, we're doing things a little bit differently. Uh, we are um, also social distancing. So this is recorded by Zoom and I um, wanna apologize for the quality or for whatever else background noise you may hear. Um, I have one of my colleagues joining me. Um, Bill, you wanna tell us who you are and what you do? Hi, Beza. It's good to be chatting with you with so much going on. Uh, Bill Jager, I'm the Vice President of Early Childhood and Policy Initiatives here at the Children's Campaign. So I think um, the last couple of uh, weeks have kind of been very strange for everybody. Um, can you tell us how uh, COVID-19, the coronavirus, is impacting childcare and families? Yeah, this is a really tough issue. Um, we know that families rely on child care so that they can work. And as we've seen efforts to increase social distancing and the closure of K-12 schools, childcare providers have been left in a really tough spot where you have, for example, elementary age children who no longer have access to their K-12 school, whose families now might need childcare. You have these childcare providers wrestling with their own questions about, do they need to be implementing various social distancing policies within their programs or the hard choice of considering closing as well. And then you layer on top of that fact, two things. One, as we've talked about in previous West Steps episodes, these providers operate on such thin margins that the prospect of closing doors means lost revenue that they can't survive. And you couple that with the fact that as the demand for healthcare needs spikes with the spread of this pandemic, emergency and frontline professionals are going to need childcare so that they can get to work and take care of the rest of us. And so the provider community wants to be responsive to that and faces these multiple pressures. So it sounds like, um, you know, the, the, these are, you know, part of our um, community that are pretty up there with first responders. And this is complica complicating a lot of situations for a lot of providers, also a lot of families. So are all providers closed? What, what does the state look like um, with the best that we can glim right now? Do we know if all childcare uh, providers are closed? Are some open? And what are families doing in the meantime? Yeah, it's really a mix, Beza. Um, we have some providers who've made the decision to close. That happens most commonly when a school district closes. Um, many have chosen to remain open. Uh, I think, as you know, there's much smaller ratios and group sizes in childcare. And so some of the social distancing recommendations are much easier to implement in a childcare setting than they would be, for example, in a comprehensive high school. And so they've been able to still follow that best guidance from the Colorado Department of Public Health and Environment. But it's a real mix. And I think as the pressures that are on families now who don't have the option of working remotely or are essentially 
you know, essential to our functioning of our society, particularly in responding to a health crisis, whether it be somebody who works at a grocery store or a pharmacy, let alone the nurses and physician's assistants and uh, medical professionals who we all are going to be leaning on to um, take care of us as uh, the pandemic continues. Those pressures are really putting families in a difficult spot to figure out how they find childcare. So um, you just described kind of a, a very mixed circumstance for all families. Um, and can you talk a little bit more about um, what you know medical professionals and kind of first responders to this are doing to find childcare and what it means when we have this kind of very mixed response um, about either to close or to stay open? Yeah, I think right now, uh, up until today, it's been pretty much uh, haphazard and really leaving it up to the family to navigate the world between their childcare provider's decision, their family's own circumstances. I think, you know, one of the challenges we know is that about 40% of grandparents already provide some form of childcare, either to school-age children, after school, or um, some form of, of care for young children. I have concerns that as the school closures continue and potentially childcare closures continue, families will continue to look to grandparents. And that's happening at the same time that we know grandparents are amongst the most at risk uh, for complications should they contract the COVID-19. And so it is pretty haphazard, but there is a silver lining here. And that is a specific and at the governor's request, a really thoughtful effort led by Gary Community Investments, um, a number of nonprofit partners, the Colorado Department of Human Services providers uh, are coming together to create a vehicle by which essential personnel who need childcare to get to their work can identify it. And so we have a new website and I'll share it uh, uh, with folks. Uh, it's a pretty catchy <laughs> uh, 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 title. So it's uh, covidchildcarecolorado.com. And uh, essential personnel can go to that website and identify the type of care they need for the periods of time they need. And providers also can go there and identify their capacity. It might be an in-home childcare provider who's licensed, a childcare center who has additional space, or might have closed but would consider reopening to be part of our emergency response to this effort. It might be a YMCA who are really stepping up to expand capacity. Um, they can identify what sort of capacity they have to respond to the need. And I'll tell you that uh, the website, in terms of asking for demand, launched this morning around 8 o'clock. And as of about 2.30 this afternoon, more than 500 spots have been requested. So there's definitely a need out there, and there is. A, an, I'm glad that there's been a response by the human services department, by the governor, nonprofits, children's campaigns. Been proud to be involved um, to try to respond to what we all know needs to happen to make sure we can get the healthcare we need. And we will add the um, link to that website in the show notes of this podcast um, for those who are interested in. 
um, would also be part of the Kids Flash we publish on Fridays. Um, so I think, you know, as we are trying to figure out how best to provide childcare for first responders and for those who are kind of putting uh, a lot of their families and, and, and the people close to them at risk as they're fighting this, what is the state of Colorado uh, doing or starting to talk about how to protect the professionals who are gonna be providing this care? Yeah, this is an important question. I think that uh, there are a few considerations and strategies that have, are going to be um, pursued. So one, uh, the Colorado Department of Public Health and Environment has really thoughtful guidance on how to ensure that programs, including schools and child care centers and homes that remain open, can ensure that they are not contributing to the spread of COVID-19. There are cleaning procedures. Uh, these programs will be implementing upfront screening strategies prior to entry to the facility uh, that uh, have been shown to identify early risks. And I think at the end of the day, a number of the um, guidelines uh, will still be robustly in effect around if there is a case, the importance of closure um, and uh, deep cleaning and some of those strategies. It's a really tough conundrum. I think everyone fully acknowledges that, but I also think on the other side, um, these are uh, professionals who are going to step up and be part of a state and national response to a threat that we haven't ever seen before. It is a form of service. It, it should be well compensated and, and the plans are to make sure the compensation is much more robust because as we've talked about previously, that's been inadequate in this field. Um, but I think that there's a recognition that when crises emerge, uh, we have heroes in our community, and some of those heroes are our child care providers. Yeah. And um, can you talk a little bit about how, you know, I think if you are a child care provider and you want to participate in this, um, there's this website you can go to. And uh, you know, follow the protocols of how best to protect your um, um, staff and people who are really uh, participating as a big response uh, so we can all uh, come out of this on the other side. Can you talk a little bit about what other conversations are kind of showing some of the fundamental um, breakdowns of the system that we have? Because I think that the past couple of weeks have really um, brought to light how a lot of our infrastructure, um, including childcare, has not been robust. And um, can you speak a little bit about some of the things that this crisis has brought to light? You know, uh, I think what has really emerged are two things, maybe three. One, childcare care is essential to the functioning of our society. It's essential to the functioning of our economy and it's essential to our functioning of our public health response in a time of crisis. Two, we have grossly neglected this sector of our economy and the infrastructure to sustain this vital set of services does not exist the way it should. Mm. And three, if we don't do something differently now and into the future, our, our public health response will be hampered and our economic recovery will be hamstrung in the process. Uh, the National Association for the Education of Young Children, uh, just for context, did a survey March 12th to 16th 
uh, that included more than 6,000 childcare providers from all 50 states in the District of Columbia, about a third from center-based care, and about half from family childcare, and the rest either school age or, or um, some combination of those. Um, 30% said they would not survive a closure of more than two weeks. 17% said they would not survive a closure of any amount of time. And 16% would not survive a closure longer than a month. Oh my so God. if a child care providers have to close for a month of longer, fully two-thirds of the child care in this country will not be around when we come out on the other end of this crisis. And so these are the very real prospects of failing to have a thoughtful investment, public investment strategy in childcare. We've left it up to individual families and the private market to solve. And this is the set of circumstances we have. I can guarantee you our K-12 schools will open up again when we're on the other side of the crisis because they are treated as public goods. We invest in them in a sustainable way. Uh, we have uh, assured funding streams. Um, as inadequate as even those might be, we at least have some assurance. In childcare, many of our funding streams are either based on attendance or are tied to parents' ability to pay out of pocket. We've seen a spike in unemployment claims already uh, with this economy uh, turning the way it has in response to this disaster, and it will only worsen. And if we continue to rely on either attendance-based public funding stream models or, and or some combination of parent fees, there will not be a childcare sector on the back end, which means the economic recovery, which will be so focused on how do we make sure we can help people get back to work, will not exist. And so we have a lot of work to do in any federal stimulus package, any state emergency response and economic recovery package to make sure early care and education is front and center. Wow. So I think from what you just said, there are kind of two things that come to mind. The first is this idea that right now we um, have a lot of first responders that need childcare that don't have childcare. But I think you're echoing something really big here that once we come out of this crisis, the, the entire industry of almost almost all of the industry of childcare is really in jeopardy. Um, so what can people do? I think, you know, people feel, including myself, are stuck at home and trying our best. But what can people do to raise these alarm to elected officials uh, at their um, state, but also at the federal level? What can people um, do? Great question. So one, uh, we can share some information about uh, action alerts, and we'll have some of that in our kids flash that uh, will come out this week about the importance of contacting our federal legislators, so our mm -hmm. congressional delegation, not our state legislators, about any stimulus or economic relief package, making sure it has strategies focused on the early care and education sector. So that's mm -hmm. one, raise your voice in advocacy. Two, uh, for those who have time, uh, talent, treasure, uh, the governor set up a new website, um, uh, just this morning, uh, that's focused on making sure that we have uh, resources to be able to kind of support the availability of 
a number of key services, whether they be childcare, because that's certainly one of them, but others as well. So that website is helpcoloradonow.org. Pretty simple, helpcoloradonow.org. Individuals with resources can donate there to the state's COVID relief fund that will include strategies to increase medical supplies, support things like nursing home coverage, uh, everything from homeless shelters, cleaning supplies, but also making sure that individuals who need childcare so they can be part of the frontline response mm-hmm. are able to get the childcare and afford the childcare they need to do that. I think yeah. third is, is just finally, you know, stay in touch with us at the Children's Campaign. This is a quickly moving landscape and we're quickly thinking about how are our resources, advocacy tools, um, communication strategies able to help people support their communities. And I'm sure in the days and weeks to come, we're going to have a lot more thoughts about that. Yeah. Well, um, I know you have a lot of things going on, so um, I think we're going to keep this short. But um, I just want to say thank you for making the time. And we'll keep you updated on what's coming. And we will share um, the links to those websites to in our um, show notes. So um, thank you, Bill. Thanks, Beza. I have one of my colleagues to help me with uh, some ads. Previous guest of the West Steps, Steph. That's me. <laughs> Who's our sponsor this week? Support for this episode is provided by Effect, a Denver-based digital agency that helps campaigns win elections. Effect supports outstanding candidates and initiatives that are focused on winning their election in order to positively transform communities. Learn more at effct.org. You want to say that last part again? Where can people go? (laughs) E-F-F-C-T dot O-R-G. That's effect.org. Thank you, Steph. Thank you. The West Steps is a production of the Colorado Children's Campaign. To support our work, please visit coloradokids.org. And I'll see you next week.